nice to meet you all. If I haven't, my name is Daniel Stevens, and I'm going to be teaching the lesson today. This uh, course is the, the wisdom of Proverbs, so if you're looking for foundations or biographies, you are in the wrong place. Uh, but this is the wisdom of Proverbs, and this is going to be the first lesson therein, the value of wisdom. So what I'm going to do to get us started is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to actually ask you all a question to talk about it for a little bit, and then we'll come back together and jump in. So uh, please, would you pray with me? Dear Lord, who is the only wise God, uh, we pray that you would enlighten us today, that you would cause us to see and desire the wisdom that you have and the wisdom that you offer. We, we thank you that you say, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask, and you will give graciously without reproach. And I pray that you would make that true now among us, that you would cause us to live in a way that pleases and honors you, living rightly in the fear of you, knowing your love. Help us now to talk and think and discern that which is right, and to become more and more wise. In Jesus' name. So uh, the question I have for you all to, to break up, two questions, one I'm going to ask you to give answers right away almost, and then another a little while long. First question, what are your previous impressions of the book of Proverbs? Most of us know it exists, uh, but beyond that, what, what impressions or interactions have you had with it? And then the second question to talk about, what is wisdom? What does it mean? What is this word that we're talking about? Uh, so what are your previous impressions of the book of Proverbs, and what is wisdom? I'll give you, you know, three-ish minutes to talk about those, maybe five, uh, and uh, then we'll come back together. So what are your previous impressions of the book of Proverbs, and what is wisdom? Discuss amongst yourselves. We're currently discussing two questions. What are your previous uh, impressions of the book of Proverbs? And two, what is wisdom? Thank you. 
about one or two minutes more to discuss. bringing the group back together. Uh, who, who wants to share what are your previous impressions of the book of Proverbs? And one of the reasons I asked this is because, it's, one, it's good to know who you're talking to. Uh, and two, Proverbs, among many of the books of the Bible, is one that we tend to bring a lot of either misconceptions or not full understanding to. And so I just want to see where, where we are before we launch off on the value of wisdom in Proverbs. So what do you think? What, what are your impressions of the book? Not everyone at once. Mm -hmm. but also applying knowledge okay. and using it with the characteristics of Christ. Okay, so the, the difference between just knowledge and applied knowledge and a, a book that helps us not just apply it, but applies it specifically in, in the knowledge of Christ or in accordance with the person of Christ. Good. Other impressions? None. Father a father speaking to his son. Uh, exactly, we're going to get into that a little bit about uh, the structure. But yes, uh, the book is uh, a father speaking to his son and a king speaking to his heir. Those, those two levels uh, happen, especially in Proverbs 1 through 9. God-given insight, God insight to discern. Exactly. Uh, that's right there in the beginning, uh, the first several verses. That's, that's the kind of purpose statement of the book. Anyone find Proverbs sometimes overwhelming or confusing? No one wants to admit that, little shakes. Uh, or difficult to read through in one sitting, maybe. Uh, there, there are various features of Proverbs that make it different from what we usually read and different from other, other books of the Bible as well. So hopefully we'll see why that is and how that even in itself serves the mission of training us towards wisdom. So. Today, in speaking of the value of wisdom, we're going to be speaking a lot about Proverbs, and particularly Proverbs 1 through 9, so those, those first nine chapters. 
And Proverbs is, of course, as, as we were saying, a book about wisdom. Specifically, in addition to a long series of, well, Proverbs that are designed to help the attentive reader grow in wisdom, the book of Proverbs aims to persuade. It aims to get you to grow in wisdom, but not just intellectually and not just to know what wisdom is, but rather to actively and passionately desire wisdom. It is not only a textbook saying here is wisdom, but it is an invitation. Come be wise. It is an enticement. Taste and see. Proverbs is aimed not merely at your mind, not just at knowledge, but at your will, at your desires. And we will not properly walk away from Proverbs until we want wisdom and want it eagerly. Perhaps surprisingly to us, this persuasion to wisdom is not simply on the level of command. While Proverbs, like the rest of Scripture, knows that God's commands are absolute, it also acknowledges that our hearts are targeted by a relentless propaganda campaign. Wisdom is not the only voice in the market. Folly, sin, is always trying to persuade, to seduce us as well. And mere principles, pages of aphoristic sayings are not enough to overcome the deceptive persuasion of folly. Instead, we are told that wisdom cries aloud. Through the book of Proverbs, wisdom, God's wisdom, comes to each one of us and not only says, this is what I am, but I am good for you. I am what you need. Indeed, I can give you all you would ever want. All goods that are at the base of all of your desires are found in wisdom, even if those desires are all too easily turned to folly. And one of the ways that the book of Proverbs does this, attempts to persuade us, is by demonstrating the value of wisdom. And in a way that sometimes may seem too earthy for some of us, it does so largely by offering us things, by saying these are the benefits that wisdom has. Be wise, and here's what you can have. Seek wisdom, and these things can be yours. And what we're going to be doing today uh, in understanding the value of wisdom, or in trying to, is we're going to look at the various things that wisdom offers in the book of Proverbs, particularly in Proverbs 1 through 9, but with some reference to elsewhere. We're going to look at the things it offers and not only ask, are these good things, but how is it that divine wisdom, heavenly wisdom, wisdom that is centered on God, sometimes expresses itself in such earthly benefits or aims to get us to want these things through wisdom. So that, that's our goal for, for today. But before we can do that, we have to ask, what is wisdom? What is this thing that is at the center of the book of Proverbs and this thing that it tells us we ought not just to know, but to want and desire and to pursue? So having discussed it, what is wisdom? What definitions have you heard before or, or would you care to offer? talkative group. The knowledge of all things. The knowledge of all things. Okay. The knowledge applied. Knowledge applied. So getting back to that distinction we made earlier, not just knowing, but knowing how to act, knowing what to do and how to do it. Any other definitions? Just being able to solve math problems. <laughs> uh, no, so knowledge applied is, is good and a good fundamental working knowledge. Um, even the habitual ability to know how to apply God's principles to a given situation could be used as kind of a working definition of wisdom in action. 
But as we go through the book of Proverbs, we see more nuance in that, because not just knowing what to do, but it's the type of knowing and the type of knowing how to act that comes from a right fear of the Lord. We're told in, in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fundamentally, it's not just knowing, but it's a type of God-oriented knowing. It's a type of knowing that comes through the right fear of the Lord. Um, we're also told in the very beginning after verse 1, which is the title, um, that the purpose of this is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. So we're again entering the moral categories, righteousness, justice, equity. It's not just knowing, but it's knowing how to act and knowing how to act in a specific way, not just shrewdly for self-advantage, but rightly, justly, before God. We see this also in the things that are associated with wisdom in Proverbs uh, chapters 1 through 3, things that are given as near synonyms for wisdom. We're told not just instruction and insight, uh, 1, 2, but wise dealing, 1, 3. As we said, righteousness, justice, and equity, 1, 3. Prudence, 1, 4. Knowledge, again in 1, 4. Discretion, again in that verse. Learning in 1, 5. Guidance in 1, 5. Fear of the Lord in 1, 7. Understanding in 2, 2. And then, perhaps surprisingly, steadfast love in 3, 3. Faithfulness in 3.3, trust in the Lord, 3.5, honoring the Lord, 3.9, and not despising the Lord's discipline, 3.11. All of these are associated so closely with wisdom that they're given as practical synonyms, aspects of this thing that we are called to view as a jewel. And they should let us see that it's not just knowing, but it's a right form of acting and loving and being oriented towards the world, a right form even of receiving discipline and of seeing the honor of the Lord. So it's it's discerning how to act rightly, not just in the abstract, but knowing that you stand before the God who wove his goodness into existence. It's also a participation, in a sense, in God's way of seeing the world. Often when we come to the book of Proverbs, one of the things that people can find frustrating is that while it somewhat accords with how the world works in our eyes, sometimes it seems disconnected. The righteous don't always prosper. Wisdom doesn't always give us the good things that that we think it should. And here I think a full biblical picture of wisdom is needed, and I, I often view this as kind of the pairing of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In Proverbs, the main picture that we're given is the world as God's created order, despite the fall, and that is true. God created the world as an order, and he wove his goodness into the fundamental being of it. That remains true, even though the fall has complicated things. In Ecclesiastes, we view it from the other way. The world is a fallen disorder on a substructure of divine order. And, and so what while proverbs is not the whole picture it is a true picture it lets us see the world as made and ordered by god and as a grand mirror of his goodness not just in say the beauties of sky and star but in the very fundamental ways that life works that that all of life in a way reflects the order and goodness of god and his creation and what wisdom is, fundamentally, is perceiving that and acting in accordance with it. It's knowing that this world that God made is and remains God's world. And so to act in accordance to God is to act rightly in it. And as we'll see, all of the, the benefits that wisdom is offered to bring are because this fundamental goodness in the world, this fu- fundamental ordering by God, is still there. That's why it works this way. It's not just, here's some, you know, here's some money to entice you into being wise. It's that wisdom fundamentally is right and is in accordance with reality. That, that's why it works. 
Then let's ask, what claims does Proverbs make about the value of wisdom? What does it tell us to give us this sense and this claim that I've made that we ought to desire it, that we ought to passionately desire it? Uh, we'll look at two main passages for this. First, Proverbs 2, uh, verses 1 to 12a. And again, here we get this language of a father to son. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understandings, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. So here we see this initial, initial claim. It is more valuable than silver. It is better than hidden treasures, and that's how we ought to treat it. It is like silver and treasure. And then we find that if we find wisdom, we get God. He is with us. He becomes a shield. He is the one who gives wisdom. He is the one who gives favor and guidance and protection. And then in Proverbs 3, 13 to 18, we find similar claims. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. This is in in no middling terms, a praise of wisdom. It is better than gold and jewels and anything you can desire, he says. That's pretty high praise. Uh, what, what I propose to the rest of this lesson is to figure out why. why. Why is wisdom praised so highly? Why is it ascribed this value that it is better than anything you can seek on this earth? To do that, we're going to look at two categories. First is the earthly value of heavenly wisdom, and then the heavenly value of wisdom. Uh, so the first is concerned uh, earthly, not in the pejorative sense, but concerning things done here on earth, and that is both uh, spiritual and material. Uh, and then the second category is going to be things with God. What, what I'm going to do from here on out most of the way is give a kind of running list of all the things that wisdom is claimed to be able to do for you in Proverbs 1 through 9. Uh, some of them we will cover at length, some we won't. We don't have all day. Um, so if I simply mention something and give a reference and we don't spend time on it, one, I encourage you to look up that reference. Uh, and second, you can ask me or an elder or anyone uh, for more later. So what are the various earthly values of heavenly wisdom? And, and the reason I'm pairing that earthly value of heavenly wisdom. Because I always want to keep at the front of our minds that this isn't just shrewdness. This isn't just being able to get, get the advantage on other people. This is a heavenly wisdom. It is righteousness. It is before God. Uh, so just kind of in a, a random order, uh, the first that I'm going to say, because it encapsulates really Proverbs from chapter 10 onwards, uh, is if you have wisdom, you can navigate any situation. This one is difficult to find a specific passage to exemplify because it is the role of the entire book of Proverbs. So for reference, Proverbs 1 to 31. Uh, 
it presents us with a very long list of sayings and aphorisms and comparisons that touch on most areas of life. Uh, and even to look ahead to the topics to be covered in this equipping hour, not today, but this series, uh, instruction and teaching, reproof and correction, wine, sex, speech, social media by implication, the family, marriage, the fool, money, laziness, anger, counselors, anxiety, discernment, planning, providence, moderation. And that's not a comprehensive list of things in the book of Proverbs. It touches on most areas of life and it implies or has implicatures for all other areas. The great practical promise of wisdom is that of a general competence. It enables right action in any situation. And most people who try reading through the book of Proverbs, especially if you try doing it with any sort of speed in one or two sittings, uh, tend to get overwhelmed. The topics shift so frequently and so quickly there seems to be no order to it. Some topics recur frequently, some appear only once. A purpose to this somewhat disorienting structure is to get us to slow down, meditate, and compare. In what ways is flirting with adultery like gathering coals in your own lap? How is meddling like grabbing a passing dog by the ears? In Proverbs, you're not reading a novel, nor are you reading a reference work of definitions. We are invited to read and then ponder and then store in our minds not just the words, though those are important, but the principle, the nature of the comparison, and the situations it does and does not touch. And the shifting between subjects, even in itself, trains us for the shifting nature of life. Much like in reading Proverbs, you may well, within the course of an hour, have to deal with whether you will be honest at work, whether you'll quarrel with your wife, be lazy or lustful, and whether you will be anxious about some plan that's going to come to fruition in the next month or year. Our lives are not linear progressions from logical step to logical step. Why should the book that trains us to encounter the varying trials of life look any different? So even in the shifting nature, we get this offer of wisdom as a general competence, as an ability to navigate any situation. Importantly, that includes avoiding sin. This is the second subpoint if you're a note taker. Uh, within the first nine chapters, that includes avoiding, avoiding violence and unjust gain in Proverbs 1, 10 to 19. Avoiding corrupt speech and devious plans in Proverbs 2, 12 to 19. Avoiding strife with your neighbors and contentiousness in Proverbs 3, 29 to 32. And in Proverbs 5, 1 to 23, 6, 23 to 35, 7, 1 to 27, avoiding adultery, which seems to be a common theme in the first nine chapters. Uh, a, a reason for that, other than it being a temptation to many people, um, is that the contextual setting, as we've said, of Proverbs is both of king to heir and father to son. That's also why we get these strongly gendered terms of my son and avoid the forbidden woman. It's not that that advice doesn't apply to both genders. It's, it's that the genre of the book is aimed this way. It is advice from father to son and from king to heir. We find uh, a reason to avoid sloth in Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Uh, to avoid crooked speech and devious planning, that is speaking in such a way as to gain advantage against others, to stir up discord, that is drama, or lying for personal gain in Proverbs 6, 12 to 15. Uh, we're given reason to avoid pride, lying, violence, planning evil, eagerness to do evil, false witness in sowing discord in Proverbs 6, 16 to 18, really jam-packed in those uh, three verses. 
So avoiding sin and how to avoid sin and why to avoid sin is a thread that runs throughout the entirety of Proverbs because if you are wise, you will know how to. The, the setting of, that re repeats throughout Proverbs 1 through 9, that wisdom and folly are both calling out to you, trying to entice you, is in a sense the setting in which we live our entire lives. And what wisdom is, is being able to recognize folly for what it is and to recognize wisdom for what it is, or righteousness for what it is, and choose that. Uh, so avoiding sin and its counterpart, then growing in righteousness, number three. Uh, we find that at the very beginning in Proverbs 1, 2 to 3, that the purpose of this book is to know, it's in fact why the book begins with infinitives, to know, to do, it's a purpose statement, uh, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Proverbs 2, 9 to 10, then, having received and sought for wisdom, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Proverbs 8, 8, all the words of my, that is wisdom's mouth, are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. 8, 18 to 21, riches and honor are with me. Right, uh, wisdom, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So if you have any desire to avoid sin and grow in righteousness, then wisdom is for you. There are other benefits. We will talk about them. These are important. Uh, it, it is the crucial faculty of distinguishing between good and evil. Knowing what is that which is in accordance with God and what is that which is not. And because of that, and we see this um, even in the book of Hebrews, that it's, it's trained by practice. Um, as one grows in this discernment, as one grows in wisdom, it becomes easier to recognize what is evil and what is good and how to choose it. If we want that, we should want wisdom. What else does it give? Um, getting into things that seem to be a bit more earthy. To live long and peacefully is a benefit of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Later in that same chapter, verses 16 to 17. Long life is in her, that is wisdom's, right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. The reason it's always her for wisdom is because in Hebrew, wisdom is a feminine noun, so its adjectives are her, or its pronoun is her. Um, so long life and peace are benefits of wisdom. And if we, again, think of wisdom in the terms of living in accordance with how God made the world, this begins to make some sense. Uh, even material prosperity is a benefit of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 3 again, verses 3 to 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So it's not just honor the Lord with your wealth because that's right, though it is, and you should, but honor the Lord with your wealth because in God's structure of, of creation, that tends to also work well for us in the long run. It's not a bad thing to acknowledge that, and Scripture is not ashamed of it, that God has made these, these kind of patterns into the world as a general principle, acknowledging that the fall messes with things. 
also to have skill at work. Uh, on a very high register even, in Proverbs 8, 15 to 16, by me, wisdom, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. Uh, do you wish to be right and just in your work? Do you wish to do so skillfully? That is wisdom, and, and it is nothing else. Uh, similarly, the benefits of, of doing so in Proverbs, I'm skipping out of my section of chapters 1 to 9, Proverbs 22, 29, uh, do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. The, the fact that wisdom and acting wisely, acting in an understanding way in one's work, comes with benefits, and in fact, in this uh, notoriety. Another benefit of wisdom, which I don't think we think of enough in, in context of the book of Proverbs, is to know which proverb applies to which situation. Um, because if you read through the book of Proverbs, you might find yourself confused at what seems to be conflicting advice. Uh, the, the most prominent example of this, because there are two Proverbs next to each other, again, breaking my bounds of one through nine, uh, is in Proverbs 26, four to five. Uh, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You know, voila, a contradiction in the Bible. Uh, no, these next to each other are there to show us that the feature of wisdom is to know which proverb is for what time. This is how proverbial literature works. This is how the book of Proverbs works. It is not that every proverb is a universal law that happens at all times. And if we approach it in that way, we are going to find ourselves sorely disappointed when things don't work out in the way that we expect. They are not one-size-fits-all rules. They're a collection of principles that must be wisely applied. It is not simply wisdom to know the proverbs. It is wisdom to know how to use them. And a very large part of practical wisdom, and the original intention of a collection of a book of Proverbs like this, is not to say that they all are for all times, but to give your mind a stock of principles rightly said to think with, and then to use wisdom to know what is relevant for the given time. This takes practice, and this is something that comes with growth and maturity and with God giving wisdom to know what is the accurate principle, to know what is the need of the moment, what is the word to be fitly spoken in a very real sense. And that is not easy. That, that is a life's work in many ways. Um, but it is also a gift of God and it is a benefit of wisdom. And so to ask for it, to seek that, to desire to know what is the right in any given time is what we are called to do because it is worth it. Uh, and then something that, that I care about but might seem obscure to you at first. Uh, one of the benefits of wisdom is to see creation as a revelation of the character of God. Uh, this is something that we know is true. We know Psalm 19 and whatnot. Um, but often when we go into nature, when we see the world around us, it's very difficult to discern what lesson it's trying to teach us. Um, so to think even Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. But how do ants actually teach us? How do we know what lessons to get from the ants? And this is in many ways a particularly modern problem for reasons I'm not going to get into here, but we don't tend to see things in the world as meaning things. We, we tend to think that meaning resides purely in what we say and what we do, and we fail to acknowledge the meaning that God has baked in to reality. 
But in God's ordering of creation, we do find in scripture that ants really do teach us industry. Lions teach us majesty, doves innocence, serpents shrewdness. In fact, in Proverbs 3.19, we're told that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. And that doesn't mean it was a particularly good idea of God, but that he baked wisdom into things. That he made the principles of wisdom, that is the principles of accordance with his character, things that are reflected in the very natural order of the world. That the world, in its various manifold expressions, means things. It teaches us if we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear. And one part of wisdom is through being trained by scripture and by practice to see some of the meaning that God put into the world and to learn from it, to hear his praise in the chorus of the stars. Because nature can teach us things about ourselves and about God, though they're usually not the lessons that modern scientific investigation of nature thinks it teaches, things like nature being red in tooth and claw. But rather, we only learn them when nature is seen rightly in light of God's good creative order. And what wisdom does, in a sense, is give us the lens to see into the world and to see God's goodness in it. And to look all around us and see his glory. I'm going to pause there for a moment and ask you a question, though I've given some of the answer away. Uh, Why is heavenly, God-oriented, moral wisdom able to give all these things? Some of the things might seem like knowing the difference between sin and righteousness seem evident, but long life, uh, right? Uh, material prosperity, things like that. Why, why is it right that heavenly God-oriented wisdom give all these things? Take like 90 seconds to discuss and then I'll come get you. Okay, what do we have? I see smiles and furtive glances. Stephen had a great thought. <laughs> <laughs> what was his great thought? I, I, I was just saying that, I mean, like you mentioned, that, you mentioned that God created the world you know, with wisdom as part of the order. So when you operate within that intended order, um, you reap some of the intended consequences of that order. Yeah, that's exactly it. And while this may not be the type of thing we if we expect if we come to the Bible with an over-spiritualized reading, um, it, it is in fact the case that creation is good and the material world is good because God made it. God is not against physicality or things or having a job or success. 
he made many of these things. He made the physical world. Before the fall, he made work for mankind to do. He made us for society because it was not good for the man to be alone. He made us for other people. All of this is the exact context within which, and in many ways for which, God's great plan of salvation in Christ is intended to be worked out. After all, God doesn't and never meant to instantly move us into heaven after saving us. God cares about the earth and physicality and stuff and society because he made it and he made it to be good. He made us to live in it and he made it to be redeemed and renewed in Christ. And as we said, when, when God made the world, he didn't just make something out there that has no relation to him. He made it as a reflection of his own character and of, of his goodness. And while the fall did truly disrupt how perfectly the world can reflect God, it still remains true that there is this fundamental order and meaning baked into the world. Because of that, because of that we can choose to live in accordance with it or out of harmony with it. And if we choose to live in accordance with it, we will find often that these benefits do in fact start to come to us because it is better and it is happier to live in tune with the meaning and goodness that God built into the cosmos than out of harmony with it. And that's the earthly value of wisdom. The heavenly value of wisdom, particularly regarding our relationship to God. Uh, so again, question for you guys. In what way is wisdom related to our relationship with God? Please discuss. Yes, the question again, in what way is wisdom related to our relationship with God? So what do we have? In what way is wisdom related to our relationship with God? 
<laughs> Jason had a great idea. There are. Well said. Uh, wisdom enables us to reflect God's character and thus commune with him, and, to, and it's available to all. Uh, correct, true, there are many things we could say. Anyone have other things? Yeah. In the same way, I think about uh, when Moses comes down from the mountain and everyone's like, man, your face. Like, yeah, it's shiny. Yeah. Um, I think that's our relation to God. It's about beholding God. In that yeah. Good. Yes. I think one of the first things Proverbs says is that the fear of the Lord, that relationship to God, is a prerequisite for wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that uh, Satan, in many places in the Bible, is called extremely crafty and extremely intelligent. Does not fear the Lord. He's, he's resisting God, and in the end of the day, he's going to fall. Yeah. So that's, I think that's, I think that's good and right. And, and uh, is this distinction I've been making between mere shrewdness and wisdom? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it's like all of the, the true goodnesses or true virtues is ultimately gained by seeing God and thus reflecting him. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and as was pointed out with the, the fear of the Lord being the prerequisite of wisdom, and many things within Proverbs, actually. While, while we think of wisdom as an active thing, involving us desiring and choosing and doing things, fundamentally, wisdom expresses itself not first in doing, but in receiving, in, in a trust in God. Uh, in Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I think that he will make straight your path is, is key because while we think of wisdom in a sense as the ability to find the straight path, to find the way that's right, it's God that gives that, both in the knowing and the doing. Uh, for the wise, even, even the task of trying to find the level path is something that he does for us. And every right exercise of wisdom is a gift. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. While wisdom takes place in us, it is not accomplished, gained, or made by us. It is the same as with all aspects of sanctification, or every gift of the Spirit. It is the thing that comes from him and comes from a position of reverence, faith, and receiving before him. The first step of wisdom is, in fact, always one of receiving, not of making or of doing. Time and time again, in the opening of Proverbs, we are called to receive, to trust, to fear, to listen, to obey. We must receive before we can be. And just as with all of God's gift, he pours out more to those who have. If he gives you some wisdom and you receive it in faith, he gives you more wisdom. This is, this is the pattern of sanctification, the grand upward spirals always. Um, so when, as I'm about to do, I say that, that wisdom is a way to God's favor or that wisdom is a way to gain God's guidance or care, I do not want you to think that I'm saying we earn or work for or achieve these things, but rather, as always, God gives, and to those whom he has given, he gives more. So uh, what benefits uh, in a heavenly sense does wisdom give us? There are many. I will just name probably three. Uh, first, God's favor. Proverbs 3, 3 to 4. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So, that is in this way, you will find favor from uh, favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 8.35, For whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Do you want to live a life in the blessing of God? Do you want to know that his favor is upon you? Desire wisdom. That's what Proverbs tells us. Similarly, not just his favor, but his protection. Uh, Proverbs 3, 21 to 26. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked. When it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do you want to live a life where you know that you are safe in God's arms? Where no destruction, if it comes, will ultimately touch you? Even with the, the safety and security that, that Paul has when he's certain that not one hair of his head will be harmed, even though that includes being beheaded. Uh, do you want to be confident of God's protection? Seek wisdom. Desire it. And he will give it to you. And then finally, uh, we can call this life in God, with God in Christ. Or we can call this God giving you himself. And I'm going to get a little theological on this one, so you're going to have to follow me. Uh, I'm going to focus on the way that life is treated in the book of Proverbs, and then I'll bring in some passages from, from the New Testament, which uh, should be allowed. Uh, Proverbs 8.35. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.16. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 10.17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. I want you to note an assumption that these passages share. Uh, minus uh, 9.10, which I'm going to bring in for another purpose in a moment. Uh, they assume that we don't have life yet, or that we're just on the road to it. What does that mean? We're all alive. Uh, life, in this sense, obviously needs to mean something more than mere animal life or, or mere existence. Uh, rather, I believe this, this life that is referring to, the life that one finds with wisdom, the life that one is on the road to with wisdom, is, is the life of God and the life with God. Uh, it is ultimately resurrection life. And wisdom is, in a true sense, the way towards it. Uh, we find Colossians 2, 2-3. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or again, uh, we find in 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Or we find uh, with this connection of, of truth and knowledge, uh, John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus being the life. Uh, 
Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, knowledge of God, uh, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Because wisdom is ultimately seeing God and his character, being transformed by it and enabling us to live in light of it, it is also seeing God in Christ, who is the wisdom of God. It is also being conformed to that image, the image of Christ, which is the image of wisdom. Because he is, as we find there, the wisdom of God. He is also that wisdom by which God created the world in Proverbs 3. If that's the case, and if all that's there, that in seeking wisdom, ultimately what we're doing is seeking conformity to and union with Christ. And if that's the case, that's elsewhere explained as sanctification or being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Uh, it is, uh, because in God all of his attributes kind of converge, uh, it, it is being drawn into the life of God and being given him. That is this tree of life indeed that wisdom is. And it is to find and to know God. So, what is the value of wisdom? As we come to the end of this mildly disordered list, uh, what can we say? Well, do you want to do well in this life? Do you wish to know how to navigate any situation, discern good from evil, and be able to act? Do you want to be able to act in such a way that it is likely that you will prosper, that you will live long, you will live peacefully, you will be at peace with yourself and with others, that you will do well and skillfully in your tasks? Do you want to be able to see God's nature in creation? Do you want his favor and his protection and himself? Then seek wisdom. Desire it earnestly. He gives to those who ask. And he tells us here to ask. So with that, uh, let's pray. And dear Lord, we thank you that you are wise and that you give us wisdom. We thank you that you call us to yourself through many ways, that is, through many of your attributes. We, we thank you that in Christ you have sent your wisdom to us and have made yourself available I pray that you would transform us, not just to know things, but to see rightly, to desire rightly, and to act in accordance with who you are. Bless us in this way and grant us your favor. In Jesus' name, amen.